Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking with Carrie Coon, the star of Fargo and The Leftovers. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Carrie Coon. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Congratulations on all the nominations. Thank you so much. It's so lovely. How does it feel? How did the Emmy nomination feel? It felt really great. Um, I think there was a lot of speculation that I would get one for something. <laughs> my odds were pretty good, but you never know until it happens whether or not it's actually going to occur. So it was. It was. It's lovely. It's so lovely to be recognized by your peers, in particular. I mean, you did deliver two powerhouse performances this year. Thank so. <laughs> you. Thank you. I, had, I was privileged to have the opportunity. Let the record reflect she's blushing, and I just need embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally blushing. So the last time I saw you, we talked before all of this happened, and you said you weren't getting recognized. People didn't know who you were. Has that changed mm. at all? Not, not really. Still, it happens occasionally. I'm trying to think of when the last time. I was in the airport in Chicago, and this really lovely couple recognized me a few weeks ago. But by and large, I am totally unmolested. That's amazing to me. <laughs> well, you know, look at how I'm dressed now, Deborah. I don't exactly, uh, I don't try to stand out. Let's put it that way. But on the professional side, have these roles changed your career at all? Are you getting different kinds of offers? I do feel that I have, I have some street cred, I think, <laughs> being from the Midwest. And I think my IMDB page, is, I'm pretty proud of it. I haven't done anything that I, that is terrible. So I actually think... By being picky, perhaps I've created a little bit of mystery around what's next. Um, and I've gotten some lovely offers, but I, I haven't committed to anything because I'm so spoiled by the limited series and everything that's come my way is a five- to eight-year commitment, and I'm not ready to do that. I wasn't ready to move on to the next thing from Fargo. So instead, I'm doing a play. <laughs> lovely. Well, yeah. you do love the stage. We talked about that the mm, last time. I do. What is it about the stage that appeals to you? Well, I've always appreciated the fact that what it does is return you to yourself in that you're not waiting for someone else to tell you that they got the thing they needed or that it's good. You are the arbiter of taste. And when you're up there every night, it's only you. And you are the person gauging whether or not you're connecting with an audience. And I think it's really important to maintain that touchstone and flex those muscles. And and just the rhythm of that work, the rehearsal and the the rigor of that and the rigor of having to reinvestigate something over and over again and and make it new every night, I think actually keeps that, whatever that muscle is, lubricated for when you're doing TV and film and it's just seven takes or eight takes and then you move on to the next day. And also just, um, oh, I don't know, just being in rehearsal is really satisfying. In TV and film, it can be really lonely. I don't get to see all the great people on my shows a lot of the time. Fargo was a little different because I bumped up against everybody, but... 
it's just great to be in a room with artists for five weeks. And this is all women, writer, director, all women, cast of five women. So I'm really looking forward to it. That's fantastic. Yeah. What would make you say yes to another TV project? Oh, boy. Well, it couldn't be a cop or a grieving mom. <laughs> That's the first thing. I'd have to believe it could be sustained for whatever amount of time. When, when I first met with Damon about The Leftovers, he, only intended, he always intended that show to be about three years. Mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be limited, so that felt right to me. It would have to be something that I believed could go on for whatever length of time and still be worth the investigation and still be stimulating and challenging to me and make sure I'm not just making the same faces over and over again for five years. Boring. <laughs> No one wants to see that. Nobody wants to see that. Would you work with Damon or Noah again? Oh my gosh, yes. I would do anything. They, If they called me today and said, I've got something, will you say yes? And I didn't even read it, I would say yes. For sure. Um, I can't wait. I hope I hope they'll work with me again. I'm sure they would, having <laughs> talked to both of them. I think they're both big fans. <laughs> I look forward to seeing them during this season. I hope I get to run into those guys a lot. I miss everybody. I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure I'll be making the rounds. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the leftovers. Okay. When you, what was your reaction when you first saw that finale? Oh well, when I you read saw the script. It. Sorry, I should say. Oh, when, when read I read the script, well, it came it came to me quite late, so I suppose I was <laughs> pretty daunted by. I had known it was called the Book of Nora, so I knew that was the the premise. So I figured I'd be in every scene, but it's always harder when you actually read all the things you need to do. I was hoping that that I could bring truth to all those moments, and of course, you know. It's a tremendous amount of responsibility to close out the show with that monologue. So I started learning that right away because you don't want to be thinking about the next line. You want to be able to actually be in the story. So that was important to me to have a few weeks to prepare. And thankfully this time Damon actually gave me a few weeks to prepare that. And I knew Mimi was up to it and um, was she's so passionate about the show. And I, I knew she would end it with her very typical stunning visual vocabulary and that I was in very good hands. What did it mean for you to have the show end on the Book of Nora? Oh, I mean, I came from being number seven on the call sheet and barely in the first five episodes to finishing it forever. It's, it's, um, it's a tremendous honor. I'm so proud of it. And the last thing we shot was the LADR, that machine that she gets into. And so I was alone on set without any of my castmates, naked in a bowl full of water, which was such an appropriate and ritualistic way to say goodbye to Nora Durst. It just felt, I just felt really fortunate to have that kind of process to, to, to let go of something. We don't always get that. It's usually very abrupt. So while it was lonely, it seemed, it seemed right to just be me and Nora in a, in a vat of water in our birthday suit. <laughs> Were you intimidated at all by that? Oh, sure. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I look, you're nude and it's on the internet for the rest <laughs> of your life. That is not a decision one makes lightly. And I'm not a 21-year-old, you know, underwear model. So, of course, of course I have my um, preoccupations with that. It was important. Mimi wanted to talk me through it and tell me why it was important to her that we get the shots that we get in that scene. She was really going for a very sci-fi, Stanley Kubrick-style image, and I think she absolutely achieved that. And Nora's vulnerability in that moment is very important to the story. So for me, when it's nudity, it's always a question of, is this critical to the storytelling? And in the case of The Leftovers, I felt that it absolutely was. And of course, the artists working on our show, the cameramen are, you know, they're Chris Cuevas had been working with me the last two seasons, so he and I have such a wonderful relationship. It was like dancing. Mm -hmm. And I knew that he would always be looking at that as, um, you know, it's all spatial. It's my body in space. 
and they're all so deeply respectful that I knew that I would be well cared for on set. So it was, you know, pretty easy to say yes. Mimi is such a fantastic director. I mean, she, she really brought so much to the project. What was it like working with her? I love working with Mimi. She works pretty quickly, actually. She knows what she wants. She knows when she gets it. She doesn't, she doesn't overwhelm actors with direction. Her direction is quite succinct. Sometimes it's just a word or one sentence, and then she gets out of your face and you do it again. And I really respect that. And I know I, I, Justin and Mimi always had a really special relationship with their work. I don't know if you've spoken to Justin about it, but... They just seem to have a shorthand. Not that I don't. I just always admired their relationship, and I thought the performances that they would create together um, in the episodes I wasn't in that I got to just appreciate as an audience member were always so moving to me and had such depth. And so um, I'm, I'm so glad it was Mimi that closed out the, the season. I was sad to see her not be recognized for her work because I think it was really remarkable. I was sad to see you not get recognized for your oh, work on that show. You. I mean, you we, and my mom, <laughs> and a lot of people on the internet. A lot of people on the internet were very upset about that. They were, yeah. What did that feel like for you? Oh, you know, we're so accustomed to not being recognized in award season. We, I think, we all harbored a, a little shred of hope that we might crack the Emmys. But historically, it's it's very common when a show with our level of viewership, which was quite low. Um, could crack it in, in less than five years. You know, you look at some, like the Americans, for example, that just finally broke through, and and rightly so. It took them a long time to get to that place, and we just weren't on the air long enough for people to catch up to us, I think. In this day, of, there's so much television. People don't watch things when they're on the air, so it's amazing how many people are actually finally catching up to the leftovers. I mean, even every week I get new tweets from viewers who finally finally binge watch the whole thing or finally finish season three and they're weeks behind you know in theory right. but that's just the way tv watching works now so we just didn't have the time and the momentum to get there and also now it's kind of a badge of honor because we're up there with some of these other amazing shows that i think will be treated very kindly in television history that never you know never got the reward they deserve so it's also unique for a show that, I mean, the first season was fantastic, mm. but it kind of course corrected, you know, and I think Damon yes. would be one of the first people to acknowledge oh, it. Oh, most definitely. Um, and so it sort of even found more viewers and fans, or I would just say fans, you mm -hmm. know, definitely as in the second and third season as it progressed. I mean, the third season was so universally critically acclaimed. It really was. The love letters we were getting from critics were astonishing to us. I remember one day Tom Parada texted me because he was so overwhelmed by it. He just, he couldn't. He was expecting somebody to criticize us. You know, he and I, uh, and I think Damon too, but we're, we're more critical than anyone about the show and whether or not what we were doing was actually going to succeed. We were pretty skeptical about whether we had pulled it off. And of course, I don't get to see it till you do. Mm -hmm. So um, it was really, it was shocking. It was kind of shocking. Because, you know, people, we live in a pretty snarky time and people like to take things down, frankly. And the show, because it resisted triteness, or easy, easy conversation. The I was so gratified by by the criticism that was written by the television critics. Some of it was so personal and so incisive, and I so respected people going going to that level of depth to write about the show. And it was there were some really beautiful things written about it, and I so enjoyed reading all of the critics' responses to the season. It was really really satisfying for me. I think it tapped into a lot of themes of loss and love mm. and life that I think, you know, maybe it's about the political time or maybe it's just emotional for everyone right mm. now. But that's, I think, what really resonated for people. Oh, most certainly. It's funny. I'm fond of saying that the world finally caught up to the leftovers, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, indeed. But it, it, it didn't, you know, a lot of entertainment is about escapism. And ours, 
our show was really confrontational. And I had some good friend, uh, a good friend told me once that when her, she and her husband would watch it together and whenever the show ended, inevitably they would find themselves talking about it for an hour, sitting in their living room and talking about it. And that's the kind of art I, I always want to make. I, I'm really, I'm really very proud of the conversations that ensued. And there was a lot of joking around too about people like, I have no idea what the hell is going on, but I love this show. Um, but it, it, it always provoked a response in, in the people that cared about it. And, um, I think it's hard to do that with TV. TV mm-hmm. is actually pretty disposable. Um, there's just so much of it, and you watch things once, and then you move on to the next thing. And I just think it's really special. What kind of conversations did you have with Damon about the ca- Nora, the character you're playing? We were. I just did an interview with Damon where he interviewed me for the Hollywood Reporter recently. And one thing that always surprises people is that Damon and I spoke very little about Nora for three years there were two times we had conversations about scripts that came in we never talked about the final episode or the final monologue that's I, amazing to me i know isn't that i guess it's strange i didn't i didn't realize it was strange i mean from the when you come from the theater in in the theater the the playwright is actually the the final he has the he or she has the final say and so i come from a place where the writer is respected utmost and in tv you know, sometimes TV writing maybe isn't as good and it falls on the actors to improvise and make it better. And I just don't come from that tradition. So I respect the language. I respect the storytelling. That's actually not my job. And I was really surprised to learn that so many of the actors were talking to Damon on a regular basis about <laughs> scripts. Nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. Everybody has their own process. Sure. Who am I to say what's, you know, right or wrong? I just didn't feel it was necessary because Damon had such a great intuitive understanding of Nora. There's one thing that happened um, in season two, the, the time when Nora abandons Kevin mm-hmm. after the whole lens stuff happens. And I, I fought, I really fought that moment in the script. And I said, you have to help me understand this because I, this doesn't feel right. I know she wouldn't leave. I said, if she leaves, she would leave everybody because she's afraid that she is dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's not about him being dangerous. So she would leave Mary and she would leave the baby. Why don't we leave them, you know, with Regina King or something? And, and he said, I know, I know, but we just, we, we're really under the gun and we have to, you know, we have to deal with this and you just have to leave. <laughs> she just has to do it because Kevin needs to be alone. I said, okay, I'll do it and I'll find a way. He said, just think of it as, as Nora having her own insecurity and her own, she doesn't know what she's doing right now. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, fine, I can do that. But that was the only time I, I pushed back at all on scripts. So I don't know. We just have a... We just have a nice thing going. The other thing that's amazing to me is he said this, that you didn't have any questions about the monologue in the end. No, I didn't. It was really clear to me. It was clear to me that I had to make a decision whether it was true or not. But in some ways, even that didn't matter because it wouldn't necessarily change the performance of the piece. It was just for my own edification. And yeah, I mean, it's a monologue. I've been doing monologues my whole life. I know how that thing works. And when the, when writing is good, like the writing is on our show, um, it's easier to memorize. It's easier to understand the way that thing is supposed to move, the story is supposed to move. And our show's always been well written, so um, it's e- it's easier to do when it's like that. Um, so yeah, I guess I maybe it's maybe I'm is that is that too cocky <laughs> I sort of no. understood what to do with it I mean it was our show I've been living in that show for three years I, I think I understood what they wa- what they wanted so what was your verdict was she telling the truth or not I'll never tell 
I'll never tell you or anyone else. I'm so sorry. But it's important to me not to rob the viewer of their own experience of that moment. And when they look to me for an answer, that means they, they won't take the time or the care to investigate their own answer and why they feel that way. And that's why the, the show is powerful. It should provoke that investigation in a, in a person. And that has nothing to do with me. And that's the same on stage. I had an old acting teacher who used to say, when I would, when I would get, you know, cry and do all this stuff in a monologue, he'd say, dry it up, Carrie. We know it doesn't matter if you cry. It matters if they cry. My emotional response matters not at all. And it's yours that's important. And I don't want to take that away from anybody. How did you get through that scene? How many takes did it take you to get through the monologue? It's interesting. Looking back on it, I don't remember. It feels like... I did it perhaps 8 to 12 times all the way through. They wow. let me go all the way through it. Mm -hmm. The only time we cut it up at all was when we were getting Justin's side because bless his heart, he'd already listened to me do it for you know 45 minutes or what have you. So we didn't need to subject him to all of those, all of those paragraphs. Um, it felt like 8 or 12. I'd actually be curious to ask Damon and Mimi how many it actually was, how many times we actually did it. It was a very I, focused 40 minutes. I'm sure <laughs> it was. Because I think the other thing that was so powerful about it was also was exactly that, was Justin's reaction to it. Yes. Because basically he's our audience. We're judging whether or not she's telling the truth by whether or not what he thinks. Like yes. That's almost what he thinks is more important than anything else. Most definitely. He's the cipher. And the fact that he embraces the story is important to Nora and is the way for them to move forward. And like I said, poor Justin had to listen to me do it so so long before he actually got to get his side. And then we had to go outside and do his entrance into the scene where he comes out of the car really hot. And I'm sure I drained him before, you know, we got to that moment. So he was incredibly generous with his himself that day. Um, it's important to be able to speak into somebody's listening. Um, that sort of truthfulness is what you're trying to, you know, obtain. It doesn't come from inside of you. It comes from the way it's landing on somebody else. And so I couldn't have done that without Justin there. And he's been there for me for three years. So I had no reason to expect he wouldn't be there that day. Are you happy with the family? Are you happy with the way it ended? Oh, it's very difficult to be objective mm -hmm. when it's, when you're the person who's in almost every frame. Of course there, are, I see the things I might've done differently or things I might've tried, but overall I've gotten I've done a lot of work in my life to be more generous with myself in terms of my negative self-talk and my judgment because, frankly, it doesn't help you be a better artist when you are self-conscious. And so I'm actually much better at watching myself and saying, you know, that moment actually works really well, and eh, that one didn't quite go, but the, but the following was really great. So I'm, I'm much better at being generous when I watch, but there are certainly things I would change. It's just the way it is. We're also self-critical. And it's so hard to watch your own butt walking up a stairwell. You know, that stuff is really hard, too. But, yeah, what are you going to do? It's my body, you know? But also in terms of a series finale, you know, we talk about sticking the landing. Mm. I think this was one that absolutely did. Well, you know, because it caused so much conversation. Mm -hmm. But it also left you to a place where I'm at peace with these characters. I understand where they are right now. Yeah, I, I feel like somehow our writers, Damon and Tom and everybody in that room, did manage to find a really sweet spot where there was... There's a little bit of satisfaction in terms of offering up a possibility of an answer. And there's also some resolution with Kevin and Nora, which has been fraught from the beginning. And I believe that Damon absolutely believes in the power of love. And I think he everything he does is with love 
and for love and that, that it's ultimately the only thing that matters and he's an artist who puts his values into his work and so I respect him for for not placating anyone else but, but just writing from a place of deep truth and I think that's why it worked because it, it, anything that comes from truth I think is going to land somehow and I also think it could have been a really big explosive ending. I think I said this to you when we talked before you'd seen it. And it, it, it gets really quiet, actually. Right. And it just comes down to two people. And frankly, that's the kind of work we need to do in the world we're in if we want to see change happening. It, it actually happens with two individuals coming together and trying to understand different points of view. We don't get it from Twitter and we don't get it from the newspaper and we don't get it from biased media sources. We get it from interacting with people that we maybe wouldn't normally interact with. And I think that's sort of the the power of that, you know, two-person dynamic is that it's actually the way forward in this very fractious time that we're living in. It was a perfect note to end on, given everything. But, you know, you've got resolution about all the other characters. It just yeah. sort of left us in this, you know... I mean, it broke me. It absolutely broke me. Oh, I'm I'm glad. <laughs> thank you for say. making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for sharing that with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, was there a scene that was particularly hard for you to do to get through? Oh boy, hard to get through. Hmm. The the thing that's hard is always not the thing you think is going to be hard. Um. What was the, I'm trying to think back. There was so much. There was so much love in that final, those final scenes that it's hard to say that that something was particularly difficult. It was difficult insofar as I was saying goodbye to people one by one. That was really hard. But it was so wonderful. For example, in the final scene with Chris Eccleston, Chris was going to be leaving in a, in a little few days, leave Australia, and so I was really saying goodbye to Chris Eccleston. And it was such a beautiful way to say goodbye to Chris Eccleston, to have that language and that moment just with him. And I think that they did a really good job providing those opportunities for us. In some ways, the most challenging was the bathroom scene where I had to pound on the door and then come through the door. Because, you know, I think act, actually angry acting can be really hard because I think it sometimes looked really, really cheesy. Mm-hmm. And I also, they only dropped me from about two feet. I didn't actually do the whole door bus. That was a stunt lady. But... um I, I actually hit my own eye with my own hand because I'm not a trained professional and I had a black eye for most of the shoot. <laughs> so, That's luckily I was in old age makeup so I could, they could just make it look like an age spot. But I had, to, I had a black eye the whole time. Um, you know what was really hard? The goat. That night it was incredibly rainy. We were on a hill that the goat couldn't even stand on and goats are made for standing on hills. And I did that whole stunt myself. I actually rolled down that hill about you six did. times. I did. Oh, my God. They had the stunt woman already. She'd already rolled down the hill looking for rocks so I wouldn't you know, oh die of a concussion. And so it, it was. we were soaking wet. It was really cold. It's really painful when you're not 22 to roll down a hill a bunch of times. I said, you guys have to get me a massage tomorrow because I can already feel my shoulder hurting. Our cameraman, Chris, actually slipped and fell. Mimi wanted a little bit more coverage. He slipped and fell and broke something and was so angry just because he's such a perfectionist and wanted to get the shot. And it just got to the point where we had to say, you guys, this is getting too dangerous and we, we can't do it anymore. Um, so that was really hard physically. and But I love being challenged physically because so often... Actresses are not given those kinds of um, challenges in their work. We're not asked to be physical in the way that men are. And so that's another thing that the show gave me was um, a very physical final season, which I greatly appreciate. 
It sounds like you've been able to watch the series. Can you do that and appreciate your work? I mean, it sounds like you're critical of yourself as well. Sure. But is there a moment you're proudest of as you look back and watch everything? One of the things I always... That, that clearly moved people that I'm very proud of is the scene with Holy Wayne from season one. It's very difficult. One of the things I, I think people don't understand about doing TV and film is that those emotional moments are challenging. They're, it's fine to do it once, but if you're really doing it, you're having a catharsis. So it's very unnatural to reset yourself for a catharsis because you've had an actual physical response where you've let out tears and tension and all these things and then you have to stuff it back in and do it again and I've always found that to be the most remarkable thing in TV and film that you do that thing 12 times in theater you do it once a night and you have a whole play to ramp up to it Um, and I have a great respect for people that are doing that regularly but that day was so focused Patterson Joseph is such a great um, listener um, as was Tom Noonan who was playing the escort and they were in that room with me and our cameramen from season one were just they were great, great artists themselves. But I'm really proud that I was able to stay in that moment and do that because it was a really important moment in the series. And that's one where that people post on Twitter all the time. So I, I end up coming across that meme a lot. And I just, I'm proud of it. It's, it's vanity free. I'm making some pretty ugly crap faces. <laughs> and it was really deeply felt. And, um, and I know that's not easy to do. And, and that's one where I can point to and say, I think I really did my job that day. And I'm really proud of it. I also think about the scene in for the Lens episode with you and Regina King. Oh, that was gosh. just a two-hander that was so powerful. I love her with a deep, deep love. I think we recognized right away, and I flatter myself by saying this, that we worked really similarly, and we were both really excited to work together. I was so looking forward to working with her because I had respected her for so long. And she is so focused and so, you know, word perfect, which I am not. I feel like my process is maybe a little messier than Regina's. And it was so hard for me um, not to watch her just as an admiring actor as opposed to a scene partner. But, of course, you do. You do that. And she was so present and available to me the whole time. And we did that for several hours. So that, kind, that level of focus is super exhausting. It's like I imagine it's what, what being a therapist all day is like because the kind of listening you have to do. But I was so shocked to see the cut of it when I realized they used all that very close, that that close, close work is, you know, you could get really exposed in that work. And so it was really fun to see the final product because for me, you know, I'm just sitting across the table from Regina and to see it zoomed in on like that was pretty intimidating. But, oh, I was so grateful they wrote us another scene in season three because I knew she wasn't going to be with us. She's just too busy. She's She's an incredible director. Her directing career is really taking off and... I'm really happy for her. And she didn't want to leave the country, I think. And mm-hmm. she had a lot of stuff going on because she's so great. And so um, I was glad to get to jump on a trampoline with her, too, after that Lens episode. That we actually became friends, I think, is a really neat twist. Absolutely. Yeah, I love her. Would you ever want to direct yourself? I don't feel that I have the knowledge to do that yet. And maybe that's something that will change as I get older. I'm still very new to TV and film. I've had the great privilege of watching some incredible directors work. And I'm just not presumptuous to... to to, I, I just I can't presume that I actually have that ability. When you watch people like David Fincher and Steven Spielberg and just some of the great TV directors I've worked with, you realize how much knowledge they have that I do not possess. So I think I might be a great... I, I think I'd be a good actor's director. I think I'd know how to talk to actors. Mm-hmm. But as far as all the other things, lenses and 
the, the special effects and all the things people have to actually take into consideration. I have a tremendous amount of respect for directors and especially the time frames they're working in now. The production value is so high and they're mm -hmm. given no time. It's like 10 days to get these astonishing episodes, if that. Uh, and, and they're now required to do two at a time. You know, they're prepping two episodes and doing two in a row and it's totally exhausting. So I'm not ready to say I could do that. I just think it's, it looks really hard. I'm tending my own garden, you know, one, one character at a time for me. I feel the same way about writing. You know, I get to read Tracy's plays. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so everyone's like, would you ever write a play? And I'm like, hell no, I wouldn't write a play. He's a genius. It's, it would be unfathomable to me to even attempt it. But he's supportive, so we'll see someday. And what, being in Tracy's plays? I love being in Tracy's plays. He, he, he's one of the greatest um, writers of women I've ever seen, I've ever read. I have. He, he he loves women. He respects women. He's a he's a real feminist, and they always have such depth. They're human beings. Mm -hmm. They're all him too. I mean, they all come from him. He's a very complicated man. Um, so I love doing his plays. I can't wait till I'm old enough to do August Osage County, and even Bug or Bug in particular. I think I'd like to do. Um, he wrote a beautiful play called Mary Page Marlowe that will be in New York this summer at Second Stage, which is 12 women. Nobody's writing that. Mm -hmm. And I actually turned down his most recent play to do the Amy Herzog play in New York because, frankly, his is a real ensemble piece and the role I was in on Amy's play from the jump. We, I did a very early reading of it, and it's very personal for me and for her that I be a part of it. And... Um, Tracy was Tracy's like you did the right thing you chose the right play but that was really hard because I we would have been able to be in the same city working on the same play that would have been an amazing would have been a nice change that would have been us. yes <laughs> we've been apart a lot but speaking of female characters I mean mm -hmm. you happen to get two of the most amazing female characters we've seen on television yep. what does that feel like for you well right now it feels like the status quo you know it's like <laughs> I don't know be. any different as well it should be and it'll be very difficult for me to say yes to anything less than um, I feel totally spoiled now this is a very exciting time to be a woman on TV and TV is most certainly leading the charge in mm -hmm. risk taking for women for performers of color and we've, we've seen that with the TCAs who was nominated for TCAs and the breadth of work that's out there and the lengths people are going to make something that's never been seen before is so exciting because it's not happening in film. Why do you think it's not happening in film anymore? Why is it happening well, on television? I mean, that mid-level of film has, is gone. The studios have embraced these giant, epic franchises. Or there's a, there are tiny, tiny independent films. That mid-level of film, Cassavetes, the great films from the 70s mm -hmm. and 80s, just they wouldn't exist today. And I think... TV is, is rushing in to fill that void at that sort of whatever that, that budget level would be. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's just really, it's interesting. I, I don't know if film is going to come back. I don't know if film as we, if, as we know, knew it is ever going to return to its, its heyday. It sort of feels like the Wild West right now with distribution and all these companies getting involved in making TV and film. I kind of don't know what's going to happen because it's really hard to make a, a small movie stand out and... and you know, get its money, earn its money back. So, especially if it's, you know, spearheaded by a woman. We still have those biases. Right. You saw that study that came out. Was it like 32% of mm -hmm. roles were, speaking roles were women from like 2009 to now? It just, it's not changing yet. And I think TV is pushing 
that. You look at all look at my category in the Emmys. It's right. all they're all movie stars and they're all doing television for a reason. Absolutely. I mean I think they're finding depths of performances or roles that they can't find in film. Most unquestionably so, yes. So speaking of your Emmy category, yeah. congratulations on Thank Fargo. You. Thank you. Um, talk about playing Gloria. I mean, she's a very different kind of character than the other female cops we've seen in Fargo. Mm. I think what's interesting for me about playing Gloria is that she's actually the closest thing to my family and my hometown and my DNA that I've probably ever played. Mm-hmm. My family embraces that stoicism that, um, you know, you believe good things happen to good people. Um, you believe that you can maybe control some things you actually cannot control, including your own emotions. That, that emotional restraint is very familiar to me. People in my hometown believe you should take care of yourself, take care of your family. That's the community's responsibility, all those things. And so for me, Gloria was more of a tribute to where I come from than anything else. And slipping into her shoes was, was pretty easy. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I feel like she's like an homage to my, you know, my grandfather's and... Um, and all the no-nonsense women in my life who have raised all these kids and done so much for themselves. And and a lot of them also had worked and raised families. And um, I know some single moms in my family. My sister's a single mom raising a boy on her own. And so it felt like a real loving tribute to those people that I, I love. Was your process the same with Noah that it was with Damon? Did you not engage in the, the script at all? You know, what's interesting is that they have such different processes. Noah... I had five scripts in my hand before I started. In The Leftovers, we would sometimes get our scripts a couple days in advance, not having any idea what was coming next. Wow. So that was very different from the beginning. He clearly had a, a plan for where the show was headed, and we would get scripts really early. And so it, you almost feel you're being plugged into something, right? It's mm-hmm. not, whereas Damon is writing something based on what, what is appealing to him about you, and, it's, and it changes the direction of the story. And both approaches are equally valid. They're just really different. So for me, what was really different about working on Nora versus Gloria is that Gloria was very outside in. So you have a dialect. You, you put on a scratchy police uniform, a really heavy belt, huge boots, a puffy coat, a hat with some flaps on it. And it, that already, the way you're talking and walking has changed. Right. And then you, you put in... You, you add into that this very sophisticated writing. Noah's rhythms are very specific. You don't want to memorize a line incorrectly because it won't sound right because he's done it he's done that work for you. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes really easy if you can get those if you can get that dialect down the the work is half done. And and I we found I, I talked about this with um with you and sometimes there were some some really humorous moments that came out of the writing so organically. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily written in there, but people were improvising physical comedy because it, it just felt so organic. The characters were so tethered to the script in that way. And so so it was really, um, I don't want to call it easy, but but everything you needed was on the page. So in some ways you could show up and put on all that stuff and you didn't need to do anything else because all of it was right there for you. It was amazing too that, you know, as different as Gloria is from Nora, they did have one thing in common. They were electronically challenged. Yes. How did that even, was that just pure coincidence? Totally coincidence. Because like I said, Noah had already written that into the scripts. It had nothing to do with me. And um, I started to point out a parallels to our, my two of the writers on Fargo, Ben and Matt. I started to say, you guys know that I did a whole episode that took place in an airport, that I chased a bus, <laughs> that I got a divorce, that I had a pretty magical hug. Do you guys know any of that stuff? And they sort of started to go, oh, I guess, well, I guess there are a few things that are paralleling the leftovers. 
So that was interesting that they didn't seem to know. But, you know, they're in the same building. Mm -hmm. the, the writers are in the same building. So you wonder about just the what's in the ether in a building like that. But I... I, it didn't actually didn't even occur to me at first. I'd forgotten some of the things that had happened in the leftovers. Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten that technology had been misbehaving for Nora, so it actually was pointed out to me later. And I don't know. Damon Damon said something very sweet about that. He said in in an interview recently that that I radiated and that I was disruptive, and that's just about the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. It was really oh, sweet. That's wonderful. I don't know Noah's explanation. I'll have to ask him. <laughs> we need to figure out how that happened. Maybe that's... they were both challenged when they went to go wash their hands. <laughs> he certainly had... <laughs> yeah, right. Noah certainly had a larger theme about the impact of technology and whether it was limiting us or creating community. And Gloria's perspective is certainly that the community, as she knows it, appears to be eroding and that she doesn't really understand what what this technology is actually doing. It's, she feels it's creating distance. And so I think that was a lovely theme that Noah was exploring that season. What about Fargo? Were you able to watch that series too and appreciate it? I, I was, yes, because um, I, I, I love that dark sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And I think our cast was so fantastic. I'm fond of revealing that my mom's favorite character was Nikki Swango. <laughs> she would always say... Um, I don't know why, but I'm rooting for that little bitch. <laughs> she just loved her, and she would always want to talk about Nikki Swango. And I'm like, Mom, did you? Did I do a good job? You know, I just wanting um, a little place for Mom. <laughs> yeah, Mom, remember me? Little, Gloria was maybe a little too familiar for her mm -hmm. too, but um, yeah, it was so fun to watch everybody because there's so much of it I didn't get to see. I wasn't mm -hmm. present for, and yet at the same time, I also had the great, the great. Um, privilege of bumping into all the actors because as the as the sheriff catches up with everybody then you end up having scenes with everybody mm -hmm. and so that was a really fun part of Fargo for me because of course in Leftovers I didn't get to work with everyone all the time so and they're all so great like David Thewlis is so terrifying and as an actor I just so admire watching him and Ewan is so disarming that you sort of get sucked into him in a different way and Having Olivia and Mark Forward, I thought they were so beautifully cast in those supportive mm -hmm. parts in the police station, and we had such great fun. And, of course, I think Mary Elizabeth has always been fantastic, and I think she was finally given a role that really played into all of her many strengths, and, and she, she was such a joy to watch. So I agree with my mom <laughs> about that. It was just fun. Mom is always right. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, and Gloria was a little bit simpler. She was more fun in that way that there wasn't all the emotional rigor. In fact, it was more about suppressing emotion than anything, mm -hmm. which, as you know from watching The Leftovers, is a very different uh, very different skill set than the one required for Nora Durst. So. But I think that explains why TCA is honoring you for both performances, because oh, yes, it's the range of both of them. Mm, well, that's so kind of you to say, and I'm just really lucky to get to do it. Um, I know you were a fan of Fargo too, especially one of the things that was great about the season. We started to see little touches about how the season's connected. Yeah, I love those little, all those little um, Easter eggs. It was really cleverly done. Do you know? If, you know, have, have they had any conversations about a fourth season? Oh no, I think it's always a surprise. I mean, Noah has said I think publicly that he's taking some time off and that he will only come back to Fargo if he has a good idea, which I really respect. He's mm -hmm. got a he's got a very distinctive process he's obviously very busy he's doing some you know adapting his book to film and he's got um he's got legion again season two of legion which was a very challenging process because it was very ambitious so we've got a lot on his plate right now um but i think even for example that they brought russell harvard back who i love he's such a great actor i've, I've seen him on stage in new york in the play tribes and he's he's a delightful human being but he's a great actor and i love that they brought him back mr wrench back for um to connect to season one 
that was one of my favorite scenes in season one was when um, he was arguing in the cafe, that mm-hmm. silent scene where they're, they're so signing good. to each yes. other. I just thought, well, this show, this show is really special. Um, that scene, I just thought, that is a special person who's making that choice mm-hmm. to, to put that on the air. Because it's important that everyone feel represented, um, which is something I think TV is really working toward. And, and Noah's a big part of that. I think he writes some great roles for some underrated actors. <laughs> and the, the Emmy nominations certainly reflect all of that. Yes, I was really... Uh, there are so many wonderful performances. There's so much work that deserves to be recognized. There are n- over 9,000 shows on television. So it's it's very special to be included. And this year, I, I keep saying I'm just going to stay home and wear some silky pajamas <laughs> and eat popcorn in my bed because... <laughs> my category is insane. Um, so it's, I mean, my family really can't believe that I'm up for that award because they just, they know, of course, they've been watching those women for some of them for decades and they're incredible and they just keep getting better. So, yeah, it's pretty weird. It's pretty weird to be included. It's great. Have you figured out what you're wearing yet? No. Not other than the silky pajamas? No, I had, I did have a first round because um, I was having a fitting for the TCAs yesterday, but um, we're nowhere near <laughs> close to making a decision. It's so crazy. But I have about 30 people in my life who say, now I need pictures because I need to weigh in on this decision. So there's so <laughs> many people who are really involved in this. Um, it's such a funny thing, that, but it's fun. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I'll have another fitting in New York while I'm doing my play, so we'll see. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, thank you so you. much for, for wanting me on your podcast. Of I'm course. So, I'm so grateful. I feel like we've come full circle. So. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. I'll see you again soon. See you soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking to Peter Morgan, the creator of The Crown, along with legendary performer Dolly Parton. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.